by show of hands, how many of you were named after someone? You were raise your hand if you were named after someone. That's pretty cool. Very cool. How many of you have a name connected to maybe a famous name? Your name is shared with someone like a celebrity or some sort of famous name or someone in history. You're named after someone in the Bible, maybe. Awesome. How many of you have no idea how you got the name that you got? Yes. Okay. That's a good percentage of us. That's okay. All right. That's okay. Because what we're looking at here this morning is names that have great, great significance. They are names that were given to Jesus long before he was ever even given the name Jesus. And they reveal to us and to the world not only who Jesus is, or in this case would be, but how he would rule, what he would be like, what life with him in relationship with him would actually be like. And so we're looking specifically at this one passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. We're looking at these names that were given to Jesus that reveal deeper and deeper levels of who he is and how we have relationship with him, with God, the Holy Spirit. So what I want you to do now is for a second to think. When you think about Jesus, when you think about God, I want you now, you don't have to share this with the person next to you. I want you to think, what is the mental image that comes to your mind? When you close your mind, you think of Jesus. What's the image that comes to your mind? What's the mental picture that you visually have? There's some sort of visual clue that you have somewhere. For some of us, it is a baby, Right? It's this little, you have, that's kind of the picture you see. And for some of you, that's really about the only time you think about Jesus is around Christmas time, and he's in a manger, and he's, he's baby Jesus, and, and, and that's kind of the image, the mental image that you have. For others, it may be when you think of Jesus, you think of the bearded one, right? How many of you, when you kind of close your eyes and imagine Jesus, he's wearing a white robe with a blue Miss America sash across? <laughs> For some reason, that's the image that we got in our mind. Don't know where that came from, but that's, for some of us, our image. For some of us, when we think about God, our mental image is an old man. Somehow he has a a beard, and he looks like maybe the fourth member of ZZ Top. We're not exactly sure. And he could, for many of us, not only in looks, but also in sort of our perception and and expression of relationship with God, he's kind of more like Santa than anything else. He's this old person who we go to when we need Something And still for others, God is just a vague, abstract thought, like a cloud or a light with no distinct personality when you think about him. Every one of us at some level has an image, an image of Jesus. And that image is incredibly important. Here's what's interesting. We don't tend to think about that image often, but that image affects, greatly affects how we have relationship with God, how we have relationship with with Jesus. And for many of us, that image we have is fairly simple. It's fairly confined. It's fairly, dare I say, contained. We like to keep it in the simplest terms possible for us to be able to wrap our heads around it. Jesus is this teacher. Jesus is a baby. God is an old man. God is an idea. We tend to boil the complexity and intensity and grandness of God down to as simple of a concept as we can wrap our brains around to try and understand him as best we can. The problem with that strategy is you and I both know while we try to understand God as simply as we can, we don't live simple lives, do we? We live increasingly complex lives in an incredibly complex world. And yet somehow when it comes to our image of God, our understanding of Jesus, we try and boil it down to the simplest terms possible when we don't live in a simple world at all. And so the names that we're going to look at 
this morning reveal some of the greatness, the grandness of Jesus, as well as some of the most intimate aspects of who he is. We are looking in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, would you turn to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning? We are looking at these prophecies about Jesus. Now we mentioned this last week. If you were here last week, you can catch it on the podcast if you didn't. Uh, We are looking at the the specific prophecy about who Jesus is. And it is meant to, this morning, expand your view and experience with Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9. We looked last week at these prophecies about Jesus, some 300 prophecies specifically throughout the Old Testament about Jesus, some of them with incredible specificity, like down to towns where he would be from and be born, down to very specific details about his life. And of these 300 prophecies about the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus, 100%, 100% of them came true, came to pass. These prophecies were spoken by Prophets, as you can imagine, some of you figure that part out. Prophets were the ones who spoke these prophecies about Jesus, and they were simply mouthpieces for God. Ones who spoke on God's behalf to a world, a people, who had become deaf, deaf, dumb, and blind to God. Who had refused to listen anymore, and so God used these prophets to speak to them. Isaiah is one of them. And a lot of the prophecies about Jesus, there are many that come from Isaiah. So we're going to read Isaiah 9. Verses 6 through 7. There's Bibles in front of you if you haven't already grabbed that. We'll also put it up on the screen. I'd like to ask that we read this together if we would please. So can we read this out loud together? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now this is the passage that we're rooting ourselves in for these couple of weeks. And I want to leave it up on the screen if you would please, because I want us to explore a very simple concept that we didn't go. Let's go back to the previous one if we would please. For unto us, you see this, a child is born, to us a son is given. Now already in the first line of that prophecy, there is an interesting dichotomy. There's an interesting revelation that happens that for most of my life and reading this passage or singing about it or talking about dusting this verse off at Christmas time, I had missed. But there's something very significant that is said about the unique complexity of Jesus in that very first line. So, again, if you're using one of the blue Bibles, your own Bible, you can underline this. It's okay. Like, you can tag these Bibles up. You can leave notes for other people. You can, like, dog ear the page and say, you should read this. And just maybe someday it's like a message in a bottle. Someone will read it. This is a very important line. I want you to underline these words. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. In that first line, what's happening is we're seeing that a child is born. What Isaiah is revealing about Jesus is that he would be fully human. He would be born. Now, many of us take that concept for granted because all of us were born. But this is a very significant thing when you talk about God coming to earth in the form of Jesus. Isaiah wants to make it clear. He is a child who will be born. He will be fully human. But right next to that phrase is an even deeper revelation of the complexity and power and beauty of Jesus. Not only is he a fully human who will be born, he is a son, the son of God, who will be given. Isn't that beautiful? 
A child who will be born just like us, but a son who is literally the son of God will be given to us by God unlike any of us. Child born like all of us, son of God unlike any of us. Already in this first line of this little prophecy that maybe you've read or heard before around Christmas time, we're seeing even greater complexity to the identity of Jesus. He is fully human and fully God. And this morning what we're going to focus on is this these two concepts that sit next to each other. He'll be called mighty God and everlasting father. He'll be called mighty God and everlasting father. In those two phrases being right next to each other, we see even greater depth. We see even greater clarity of the complexity of Jesus. He is going to be mighty God and everlasting father. Mighty God, everlasting Father. Those two concepts may seem opposite at first, that he is this all-powerful God, and yet he is also this intimate Father. The concepts even of themselves seem interesting when you think about the dichotomy of them, that we're talking about a baby being born who will be mighty, and a son who will be Father. It's very interesting, isn't it? I saw this in, when our son Elijah was born six years ago. Up to that point, I, I'd, I'd been a, a guy, a dude, a person, right, and in my life. I was a son to my parents. But then I met Jeannie, and that changed the story. And so now I'm not only a son to my parents, but now, after some convincing in a little bit of time, I became a husband to my wife Jeannie. So now I have this very interesting relationship where I'm still a son to my parents. That didn't change. Now the, my, my sort of identity has gotten a little more complex. I'm not only a son to them, but I am a husband to her. And guess which one comes first? When one of those two women, my mom or my wife, call, guess which call I take first? It's my wife. Let's be very clear about that. Just don't tell my mom. Um, <laughs> right, so I now have two roles. I, have, I am son and I'm also Husband, then the moment my son is born, I have a very surreal moment because I'm not only son, I'm not only husband, now I'm father. And in the room, shortly after our son Elijah had been born, I'm sitting next to my wife with my parents in the room holding my son. It's a very complex moment, isn't it? I'm no longer just a guy. I'm no longer just a kid, a son, a person. I am now son, husband, father. It's a beautiful, powerful image, and maybe you've experienced some of that, but even even in all of that, all of those relationships that I have to those other people are still limited by my relationship to them. Let me just kind of unpack that a little bit. Even in the complexity of being a son, a husband, a father, I am only a son to my parents. I am not my wife's son, right? I'm only a father to our children. I'm not a father to my wife or my parents. Do you understand? I don't have to like break every one of these down for you, do I? You understand that, that the complexity is still limited by my relationship to those other folks. Not so with Jesus. In Jesus, we see him all the time, always, while he walked on earth, fully human. And always God. Not limited in his complexity. Always, all the time, mighty God. And always, all the time, our everlasting Father. So his... Um, Complexity is not limited to his relationship to us. He is all 
of these things at the same time. Mighty God, everlasting Father, even when those things seem to be at odds with each other. The baby who is mighty, the son who is father. Jesus is our great yes and. He is our yes and. He is our yes, 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 yes. I am human and I am fully God. Yes, 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 yes. I am a baby and I am mighty. Yes, I am a son and I am father. Yes, yes, I will come and live and I will die and I will be raised again. I got one more and on you on that one. Yes, I am the great yes and. So much more, so much greater, so much more complex than our simple, simple constructs and confines that we put him into with our lives and our prayers and our faith. He is yes and. And Isaiah is not the only one who reveals this. This is revealed, this greater intensity of his complexity, which seems at times like a dichotomy, is revealed all throughout the scriptures. Listen to how John, the beloved, one of the closest disciples to Jesus, attempts to wrap his brain around the yes and of Jesus. This is in John 1, 1. It's a beautiful poetic image talking about who Jesus is and referring to him as the word. He says this about Jesus. In the beginning was the word. He's referring to Jesus. And the word was what? With God. And the word what? Was God. So John is saying, yeah, he is this great yes and. He is the one who is not only with God, there in the form of the Trinity. We looked at this a few weeks back as we studied Colossians chapter 1. Not only is Jesus all of that, but he is also God. Now you have to understand, in this culture, those are the types of things, those are the kind of words, those are the kind of phrases, those are the kind of associations that get you killed. They were deemed blasphemous. And no one can be compared to God. And yet here we see Isaiah. Here we see John. And here we see Jesus, just in case you missed it. John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus is incredibly comfortable with the complexity of his identity. He says this very simply. Yeah, I and the Father are one. In case you missed it, let me just say it again. Me and God, we're like this. We're one. We are one. We are the same. And it says in the context of this passage in John chapter 10, which we don't have time to go into, that as soon as he said those words, everyone around him grabbed a stone to pick up and was ready to kill him. He had spoken such blasphemy. He broke the simplicity with his complexity. He said, yes, and. Yeah, I am Jesus, the one in front of you, fully man, and I'm God. I'm greater than you could possibly imagine. And it was so shocking that in that moment they were ready to kill him. And the text says in John chapter 10 that he literally had to sneak out and around the people and vanish from them because it wasn't time for him to give his life yet. Isn't that amazing? How shocking and striking and jarring and unnerving the yes and of Jesus is. Jesus goes on to say this again and again. Matthew 28, verse 18. We'll just put this up real quick for you. You can write it down. Then Jesus came to them. This is after his death on the cross and being resurrected by God from the grave. Jesus comes to his disciples and says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And with that authority, then he pours that out into his early followers. But what is Jesus saying here in Matthew 28, 18? All authority. That means all power has been given to me. Every power, every ounce of power that God has, he has given to me. Why? Because God and I are one. Yes, I'm fully human. I'm fully God. Yes, I am mighty God. And yes, I am everlasting Father. And when we embrace that complexity of his identity, 
it begins to grow our hearts and our faith, and we find that we're no longer settled, we're no longer comfortable with settling for a simple Jesus anymore. A baby, a teacher, just a savior. No, 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 he's so much more. He's so much more at all times. And who he is is greater than the context of his proximity to you and I. He is this great yes and, and he invites you and I into that reality as well. Jesus has invited you into a yes and reality with him. An identity that is greater than what we see on the surface. An identity that is greater than the name that was given to you. Jesus invites you into this yes and way. Into a lifestyle where the last are what? First. Yeah, you're last in line. You're last to be noticed. You're last to be seen. You, all the odds are against you. But you're first in my eyes. Yeah, you're first. The lowest are the highest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, you, you are humble, and you are called to live a humble life. And guess what happens? Guess what the great yes and does to those of us who humble ourselves before God? What does Scripture teach that he does to those who humble themselves? He lifts them up. Yes, you are humble, and you are lifted up. Higher than you could ever imagine or be on your own. Yes, and. Yes, and. Yes, and you are called to die so that you may live. Yes, you die to yourself. You die to your agenda. You die to the dreams that you formed and fashioned for yourself. And when you do, you will live. Yes, you are wounded. And you are a healer. Yes, even from your wounds, your scars, your story, where you thought it would never, ever be healed, guess what God wants to do? Yes, you are not only healed, now you are called to be a healer to others. Yes, you have a story, and I am going to use it. Yes, and. We have a yes, and God. A yes, and God who says, look, I want you to give. I want you to give. I want you to give. And when you give from your heart, when you give to me, when you give till it hurts, when you give till it doesn't make any sense anymore, when you give from that deepest place that you're holding on to most tightly, guess what happens? You receive. Yes, you give, and you receive far greater than you ever imagined. And then a beautiful life that our yes and Jesus has called us into. A life of yes and with him. And this is why I love, I love, I love, Jeannie alluded to it earlier, and we talked about it last week. I love what things like the let's make believe campaign that we're in the middle of right now do to us. They force us into these sort of yes and moments. I love the fact that we're in a season right now where, yeah, we just you know, worked hard and we love partnering with, with Brown. We worked really hard and we're, and we're going, you know what, the work's not done. The work's not done. We have, we have more work to do together. We look upstairs and we see what God is doing Soul City Kids. And if you haven't been up there, it is bananas up there. There's so many kids up there. And you look up there, you go up there and go, wow, we've really done a lot. And God is calling us to even more. And I love, I love when we focus our hearts on things like this. We go, okay, God, only you are mighty God. Only you are mighty God. Jesus, only you are mighty God can help us, can help us reach what it seems like an impossible goal. This is what's going on personally in our lives and our family. We, we look at what we have, and we have as a church, we talked about this last week. We have as a church a very mighty God-sized goal. 
And I just want to refresh in case you missed it last week. We are committed to, by this year end, raising $150,000 for the children of Brown Elementary and for the children of Soul City Kids. If you didn't gulp at the sound of that, you should. Because, you know, we're a growing church. God is growing this church. That's a God-sized, a mighty God-sized goal. But we look at the fathering heart of God. We look at Jesus as our everlasting father. And we say, no, this is right in line with the heart of God. To care for the children and families of Brown. To care for the children and families of Soul City Kids. And so we look and go, oh my gosh. This is a yes and kind of thing. Because I don't even know how to get to yes. This has to be you. You have to be a mighty God who can supply, who can allow this goal to be met. And God, I have a feeling that when I'm a part of it, you're going to grow me more because of it. And you know it, you know, you know it. And what I love is what we've set out to, to, for this outrageous, ridiculous goal. Do you know what's so utterly amazing? We've just started talking about how we can raise resources to bless and benefit Kenya and her team. And so you know, just so you know, over half of what we raise as a church, we're investing directly into Brown Elementary. 53% of what we raise goes outside our doors because we believe in what it means to be a good neighbor, to be a gospel friend in the community. And we believe in Kenya and the work that her and her team are doing there. And so we're giving over half, we're investing over half of what we raise in her. And we're taking the rest and investing it into what's going on at Soul City Kids to serve the children and families here at Soul City. And it is a God-sized, a mighty God-sized goal. Here's what's so crazy. We just started talking about this last week. Do you know how much our church so far has invested? $20,000 in a week. That's on top of offering. Now, if you didn't gulp at 150,000, you should cheer at 20,000. That's pretty incredible. Hey, here's the deal. Uh, There's a yes and. And there's more. Because what God is doing is not just writing a giant check for us. And he could. And there have been times where I've asked him to. God, will you just leave a gift basket with a $150,000 check on our front door? It's probably not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. God writes better stories than that. Because God's going to write hundreds and hundreds of different stories in each of our lives. That's a mighty God and an everlasting Father. And here's how it's happening. God is inviting each of us to this yes and, to give and to receive. To sacrifice and give into what God is doing here. And to receive far more than we ever could if we held on to things like we always have. And I love what's happening. I love that people aren't just sort of dropping money in a bucket or giving online. We're getting cards and notes and emails from people saying, you need to know what God did to me, (laughs) like how he messed me up and why I invested in what he's doing here through Let's Make Believe. And we received a card this last week from someone here at Soul City Church. And I won't go into all the details because we want to keep what uh, their gift, you know, just between them and, and God. But they wrote a note to Jeannie and I and to our whole team And uh, the note basically comes down to um, them feeling pushed and pushed and pushed by God and resisting and resisting and not sure how to avoid. In fact, they said when they went home the other night thinking about this, they sat down uh, to finish work and distracted themselves by picking up a daily devotional, which is a huge mistake. (laughs) I should have, we should have, 
told this person. And they read the wrong day, of course, which was exactly the right day. And they just shared the story about how they read a devotional. And the devotional was all about what happens when we give to God. I mean, this is someone who goes, okay, I know God's pushing me here. I know something's happening in my heart. And they, so they try and avoid God by reading the devotional. Again, flawed strategy. <laughs> but, but they're growing. And then <laughs> this is what they wrote. After explaining, they wrote the whole devotional out. And it's, I mean, it's just, it's exactly what God was speaking to their heart and to our hearts about how great our yes and God is who blesses us beyond even what we can give, blesses us to give, and blesses us when we give. And they wrote these words. The Lord has blessed me abundantly, and that's underlined. And my resources are not my own. I want to let you know, this person is a school teacher. And so you know, just statistically, probably not a ton of resources. And yet this is what they write. The Lord has blessed me abundantly and my resources are not my own. Jeannie said earlier this year in giving, we're just moving God's money around. And right now I'm doing just that. I'm taking this money that was given to me for my school, my work, and moving it into an area of need. May the kids of Soul City and Brown be blessed. And to our God and sovereign Lord be all the glory. Now my hunch is, and this person gave significantly, but it doesn't matter what the dollar amount is. What matters is it came from a place of them going, okay, only you, God, can provide for my needs as a mighty God can, and only you, God, can care for my needs like an everlasting Father can. It's yes and. And so I'm going to, yes, give, and I know in the process I will receive far greater blessing. You've seen that before, haven't you? You've experienced it. You know, we just forget it. We just want to keep things simple. We want to keep things in our nice little box. And Jesus stands here before us and says, yeah, it doesn't work that way with me. Because I'm the yes and savior. I'm the one who, when you give, I will bless you. I'm the one who blessed you in the first place to actually give. I'm the one who invites you into a yes and lifestyle. Die and live. Give and receive. And I think every one of us here this weekend, every one of us here who, who's listening, who's, who's, who's feeling God stir in your heart and is getting your perception and perspective of the complexity of the identity of Jesus expanded this morning. The beautiful thing is, the beautiful thing is, is that that's not just about him. It's about you too. And he is inviting you into bringing all of the complexity of who you are into the complexity of who he is. A simple Jesus cannot handle the complexity of our lives, but a great and good Jesus can. As we've talked about here and taught about here before, he is the type of Jesus, this mighty God, this everlasting father who not only can, but also cares. He is so mighty that he can do anything And yet he's so intimate and loving that he actually cares about the detail, about the process, about the prayers that we pray and the struggle that we go through. That's who our Jesus is. And he's inviting us to come to him as a mighty God and an everlasting father and bring all of ourselves to him. And my hunch is, knowing the complexity of my life and the complexity of yours, 
that there are places right now that you need, you need the strong hand of a mighty God. There are probably places in your life that you look at on the surface and go, <laughs> it doesn't add up. There's no way. Like, you know those things where you're like, only a miracle? Only a miracle. Like, God, this has to be only a miracle. I, either I back myself into this corner or life is hard enough and, it's, and this is kind of where things are at. And so only a miracle, only a mighty God can save me in this moment. And there are places in your life where you may be in that corner. It may be because you've been out of work for so long and you've watched what you worked hard to save or you worked hard to hold on to dwindle down. And you're looking going, I've been out there. I've been doing everything I can. God, only you can. Only a mighty God can. And you need God to move at that level. You look at the relationships in your life. You look at the maybe broken relationships in your life. You go, oh man, this has been years that this relationship has been strained or broken. Only God can break through into my heart or into theirs. This is like one of those a miracle things has to happen. Only a mighty God can. And at the same time, there are many of us who have moments where we go, in situations in our life where we go, I need the loving arms of a Savior right now. Yeah, there are times where I need the strong hand of Jesus, but this is one of those times that I just need the loving arms of an everlasting Father. I need the yes hand of Jesus. And I am so hurting and wounded right now that everything about my perspective and perception of things is affected by this. And I need to know that I can come to a Savior who will accept me, even with the mess that I have of my life or that I've made of my life. There's some of us who are hurting from a rejection, a breakup, a failed marriage, a relationship that went south. And you're looking around going, I need the loving arms of Jesus right now. Yes, I believe that he is mighty God. Yes, I believe that he can, but I need to know that he cares right now. I need to know that he's present and with me right here, right now, in this, in this moment. I'm not sure what it may be for you, but I know, I know the complexity of my life. And I thank God that there is a Jesus who is greater than even my complexity. And who is a yes and who says, yes, you come to me and and you will find rest. Yes, you cast your cares upon me and you will find that I can carry them with you and for you. Yes, you come to me with the mess of your life and I will forgive and redeem. You can come to the yes and of Jesus. And so what we've done is we've put little star ornaments on your seat. You're probably sitting on them. And so you may want to pull those. I'm going to ask you to pull those out. And as the band comes up right now, we're going to take a few moments to just embrace the fullness of who Jesus is. The yes and of Jesus. He is inviting us into a yes and relationship with him. And on maybe one side what you need to ride or maybe just you're in a season where you need that strong hand of Jesus. You need him to do what only he can do. And so we want you to write that out as specifically and as clearly as you can. This is your prayer to him. Or maybe you're in a season where you need the loving arms of Jesus and you are so hurt and so wounded, you've made such a mess of your life that you need to know that he is not only mighty, but he is also loving. That he's not only great, but he's also good. 
And so you write that situation out where you need to bring all of who you are to all of who he is. And it may be you write something on each side, a place where you need the strong hand of Jesus, a place where you need the loving arms of Jesus. Almighty God, everlasting Father, that's who our Jesus is. And he's inviting you in this moment to bring all of who you are, not to a simple Jesus, not to a Jesus who works according to your rules, but who we come to and fall on our knees and say, you are so much greater and so much better than anything we could have ever imagined. And so I bring this place where I need your greatness or I need your goodness. I need your mighty God. I need your loving, everlasting Father. And you write it down as a prayer. And what we're going to do is we're going to hang it up on these trees. You can come right up to the front here, hang on there, any of these side trees. We're going to hang these as prayers and let them hang in this room, in this space throughout this week. And we'll let them be a reminder to us that we have a yes and Jesus. And we want to bring all of who we are to all of who he is. So let me pray for you right now. You can write those down. And when I say amen, which is going to mean like 90 seconds, you can begin to move around the room and hang those things up and let those be a prayer that you pray this morning. Maybe the first time you've prayed in a long time. This may be the prayer you've prayed for a long time. Whatever it is, you hang it in this space and let it be a reminder that we have a God who can and a God who cares. Jesus, thank you for the complexity of who you are. I thank you that you're not limited to my perception of you. That your identity is not in any way bound by your relationship to me. But my relationship is found in my proximity to you. My identity is found in my relationship with you. Bringing all of who I am to all of who you are. And so, God, I pray for those of us right now who can come to you maybe for the first time or for one more time and come and say, okay, I need that strong hand, a God who, a mighty God who can, or those loving arms of an everlasting Father, that you would not only hear our prayer, but that you would move on our behalf. Thank you, God, for how you are doing that and teaching us through that, through a campaign, through something like Let's Make Believe. You are transforming our hearts. You are growing our hearts. Only you could do that. And we thank you for it. We love you. And we want to express our prayer, our desire, our love for you through these prayers and these songs right now. In your name, amen.